here above all heavens, above the angels, above everything in all creation, and let all things that have breath praise Him. Amen? I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, as I uh, begin our time this morning, let me just go back to first things and to important things and ask you a question. You didn't think I forgot. What's the gospel? Uh, come on now. Some of you forgot. What's the gospel? Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. Yes, that's the gospel. Okay, Just because we're in Genesis does not mean that we need to forget about the gospel. Right? In fact, in Joseph's life, believe it or not, you have a demonstration of the gospel of someone who is uh, sent, in a sense, into a, a relatively dark situation, but his life, in a sense, redeems his family and uh, purchases life for them. And then later... He's going to be the example of faith that they're going to get out of Egypt and they're going to take his bones with them because he's not going to be buried in that pagan place even though he lived there. Uh, this week, I want to ask you another question. And the question is this. Have you ever had something happen to you that causes you to fundamentally question not just your decisions... Not just where you are in life today, but your personal identity. You ever had something happen to you which causes you to question who you are, who you really are at the bottom of everything? Maybe for some of you it was a job loss. Uh, you know, sometimes we, particularly men, but also ladies, sometimes we get a lot of our personal identity wrapped up in our job. And then you have a job loss that kind of comes out of nowhere and sets you back on your heels. And you wonder, who am I? And what, what's my purpose? What am I, what am I doing? And maybe you had to take another job that was maybe a lot less pay or it took you a long, long time to find another one. And your identity is in question sometimes. Maybe you lost a spouse Maybe you lost a child, and you felt totally lost. Maybe you got diagnosed with something, and it altered your life in ways that you could not imagine. And you couldn't do some of the things you used to enjoy, and you weren't as strong or as agile or as flexible as you used to be. And in all of these cases, and in lots more examples that I've not listed but that I could... Sometimes we have things happen to us that we go, wow, and they just shake us. And we wonder if the things that we have used in our life to define who we are and what our identity is are really real. And you feel like a part of you, a significant part of you has died. And you don't know how to bring it back to life. And I don't know precisely how Joseph felt when he got sold into slavery. 
I don't know how he felt when he seemed to be rising in the household of this important Egyptian only to sink down again when he's falsely accused of rape and wound up in the king's dungeon. But here's what I do know. That as a young man of 17, he had dreams from God that one day he was going to be the leader of his family. And that one day he was going to rule not just over his brothers and his mother and his father, but that he was going to rule under all the stars and the heavenly bodies in heaven, that he was going to, in a sense, rule over the whole world. And here he is in an Egyptian prison, having arrived in Egypt as a slave. Now, I don't know about you, and the text does not say this, so I don't want to get too far afield here on our speculation. But I don't know about you, but if I put myself in Joseph's shoes, I would start to wonder if those dreams that I had had ever even really happened. And if they had happened, if I had understood them rightly. And if they really did come from God and they really were telling me about my future or not. Because nothing in my present experience is indicating this is going to happen. Amen? Nothing in his present experience is pointing in a direction that points toward leadership and rule. He's in jail as a slave. And it's not like, you know, hey, uh, it's not like today where we say, oh, uh, five years uh, with time off for good behavior, you'll be out in uh, two years, and, uh, you know, we'll feed you and take care of you in the interim and, you know, make sure you have good medical care and the best in cable television. Uh, this is, when you go into prison, you go into prison until they feel like letting you out. And there he is. And it would be easy when you're in a situation like that to get bitter and to wonder if these dreams that you believe God had given you not only would ever come true, but could. And yet, as we'll see, God is still at work. God is still at work. And what we see today in the text, and this is what I want to show you as we get into Genesis chapter 40, is, is the fact that, um, that God is still at work. When all seems like all the good reasons to believe that are gone, God is going to give Joseph some clues that he's still with him, that he's still there, that he's still working. Even when Joseph's circumstances don't give a lot of evidence, God is going to show him that he is still at work. And Joseph, more importantly, is also going to trust what the evidence that God gives. And so if you're in a situation where you're wondering, where is God in all of this? And how to trust him in the midst of some very tough circumstances. Joseph's going to give us an example here in uh, Genesis chapter 40. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 40. This is just two days. We're going to see two days in this chapter of Joseph's several years in prison. First of all, let's look at Joseph and his fellow inmates uh, in verses 1 to 8. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. 
And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Uh, we're not exactly sure. Uh, we're not told when these events occurred. It's just sometime after Joseph was thrown into prison, sometime after he had risen to the role of sort of assistant warden in the prison, as we read about last week. And, and regardless of the time, on one particular day, Pharaoh gets upset with his cupbearer and his baker, and he throws them both in jail with Joseph. And you might be wondering what could happen that the guy in charge of baking donuts and the guy in charge of putting wine in the cup would be so upsetting to Pharaoh. But it's more complicated than that. The cupbearer cup was not simply some random fellow picked to hold the king's glass, like the Egyptians, who were some of the smartest people who ever lived, couldn't somehow figure out where to put an empty glass. No, this guy had an important role. And your royal cupbearer had to be one of your most trusted officials, especially in a monarchy. You know, this is not, this is not uh, American-style democracy where we have elections every so many years. This is a guy who is believed to be a living god, who is believed to be the embodiment of the sun god Ra, ruling over the whole nation of Egypt. And he rules as an absolute monarch, as a dictator, as a despot. And so as you can imagine, and on top of that, Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And so as you can imagine, there are lots and lots of people who would like to have his spot atop the pile. And one of the most efficient ways for achieving the vacancy in office that you is necessary for that to happen is to poison the guy. And so your cupbearer is the guy who has got to be absolutely trustworthy. Because otherwise, he'll put strychnine in the wine. And same way with your baker. He's got to be a trustworthy man. These are the two guys that handle your food and your drink. You know, one of the good rules, by the way, never insult your waitress before she brings you your food. Not a good idea, okay? Don't criticize the person cutting your hair, right? Uh, it's just some good practical advice, right? And these guys get sideways with the Pharaoh. We're not told exactly what happened, but it may have been that, that he suspected they were involved in some kind of a plot against him, and he throws them in jail until he can figure out what to do with them. And after they're there for a little while, who knows how, how long... They both have dreams. 
and they both have dreams. And, and these dreams both appear to have a meaning, but they can't figure out what it is. And as royal officials, they would have used to have been uh, people who had access to all the royal soothsayers and wise men and whatever, the people responsible in the Egyptian court for this kind of stuff. You had a dream, you could, you, it bothered you, you needed to get an interpretation, you go find the wise man or the priest or, or whoever, and he would tell you what it meant. You know, they'd sacrifice a goat and look at his liver and go, oh, it means whatever, right? And, and this would be the deal. Well, these guys are in prison and they, they, they don't have access to all that, but they're bothered by these dreams. And they know that God has sent them these dreams, but they don't know how to get a meaning. And, and Joseph, you know, points them back to God. He says, well, tell them to me. He sees they're bugged, and he, and he cares about these men. He says, tell me what's going on. Tell me about your dreams, because interpretations belong to God. And I want to just draw a line under that little comment. Interpretations belong to God. Because remember, Joseph himself had dreams way, way back, years and years ago. And these dreams have not been fulfilled. And there's not any obvious way that they even could be fulfilled. And yet Joseph still wants to hear about these guys and their dreams. Because he knows that interpretations come from God. And, he's, and, and that's an indication that he still believes. That God has made promises to him when nearly every part of his circumstances is disconfirming evidence of that fact. He knew God. And he knew that, God, that since he knew God, he knew that God is trustworthy. And that he never makes a promise that he doesn't fulfill. And so he says, well, look, I have had some dreams and I know they came from God. You tell me yours, and I'll bet I can tell you because they come from, because dreams and their interpretation come from God. And I believe that God will tell me what yours mean, just like you told me what mine meant. And interestingly, there are two dreams, just like Joseph had, two dreams. And I think in this little scene with these two dreams, God is sending Joseph a message. And he is saying to him, these guys had two dreams. You had two dreams. Interpretations come from me. Remember, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten you. I know exactly where you are. Well, let's hear the first, the first one from the cupbearer. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. Three branches of three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this mess. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into this pit. Now, the, the cupbearer's uh, dream is of a grapevine. 
And it suddenly starts producing fruit on each of his three branches. And he sees himself taking the fruit of those, of those grapes and squeezing them into wine and putting them into Pharaoh's cup. And you know, one interesting feature of this dream is just the way it's structured. Everything that happens in this, in this whole thing, as it's described, happens in threes. There are three branches. And then as soon as you see the branches, three things happen. First of all, budding, and then blossoming, and then ripening into grapes. And then three actions related to Pharaoh. I, uh, his, I took the grapes, I pressed them, and then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore you to office, and you will be his cupbearer. Everything happens around this idea of three. And this dream has a good interpretation. The cupbearer is going to come back into Pharaoh's good graces, and he's going to be exonerated and restored to his job in just three more days. Just three days. And Joseph knows this interpretation has come from God, and so he tells the guy, hey, when you get your job back, when you get your job back, do me a favor. Mention me to Pharaoh. Tell him that I'm a, I, I have been shanghaied into slavery down here, and that once I got here, I was unjustly thrown in prison, and get me out of this place. And as you can imagine, this news that the cupbearer gets is a big relief. Because, you know, this is a guy with absolute power over your life, the Pharaoh. And you're going to find out that you're going to get out of prison, get your job back. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. But this is also a relief to the baker who's been worried about his dream. And he goes, hey, this sounded pretty good. Maybe I should tell him mine. Well, his turns out a little differently. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head. Ah, three, that, three days, that, that would be good. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation, the three baskets of three days. In three days, the Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. That one's a little grim. Uh, the nicest way of saying this is that the chief baker's dream is uh, less favorable. Amen? Pharaoh is not only going to stay mad at the baker, he's going to have him executed in three days. And like the baked goods eaten by the birds in his dream, the baker is going to be beheaded and hung on a tree and eaten by the birds. And probably what's going to happen is that he's going to be put on display as a warning. Those who are displeasing to the Pharaoh. They used to do that, you know, like over in, in London, if they, um, if they caught you as a pirate, they would hang you and then they would leave your body on display hanging off London Bridge with a sign that says, this is what happens to pirates, right? You've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, you've seen some of this stuff, right? Um, or they put people in cages until they died, and then the birds would eat them, kind of thing. This is, this is, 
This is grim stuff. Probably what happens here to the chief baker is that he's beheaded, and then they take a pointy stick and put his body on it. And he's impaled outside the city. With, it was kind of a visual warning. Don't make the Pharaoh mad. And that's what happened. Uh, and notice, Joseph does not ask the baker to remember him in front of the Pharaoh. Uh, probably a wise move. Because who wants their name brought up by the guy who's about to get killed? Right? Oh, there's somebody else in prison? Oh, well, bring him out too. No, no. Just be quiet. Um, let's see what happens here. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, a couple things I want you to see in that text. First of all, is Joseph a true prophet of God? Yes. You know how you can tell? Everything he said came true. Let me underline that. Everything he said came true. Everything he said came true. Deuteronomy says that the test of a true prophet is that everything they say comes true. And if everything they say does not come true, they are not the true prophet of God. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because... It's because there are lots of people out there in our world right now who claim to be prophets of God or who claim to have a word from God or who claim to know things from God, etc. And this is how you tell who the real dude is. If he really speaks from God, then everything he says comes true. Why? Because God knows the future and no human being does. And so when everything happens according to what the man said, then he speaks from God. So, you know, people sometimes, you know, you see these, you know, like the Inquirer or the Sun or whatever where these tabloids are, and they have, oh, true prophecy from Nostradamus. The end of the world is coming in 2012 or whatever, you know. And you see all this stuff, right? You need to worry that the end of the world is going to come in 2012. No. Why not? Because, first of all, the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus is coming when he decides he's going to come. Maybe that's 2012. Maybe that's 3012. We don't know. What we do know is everybody who says this is what's going to happen is not a prophet of God. Unless what they say comes true. Everything Joseph says comes true, and he is therefore recognized as being a reliable prophet, someone who speaks from God. Now, Pharaoh has this little birthday party, and just like Joseph said would happen, the cupbearer gets his old job back, and the baker gets hung on a stick like some sort of twisted corn dog. And it's never, never good to run afoul of uh, the person that everybody else believes to be God, 
This is never a good idea. And Pharaoh believes, not only has told everybody else that he's God, he believes it himself. He's an absolute despot, and he is a nasty little person. And everything happened just like Joseph predicted. And so you'd expect to read, So the cupbearer told Pharaoh about this marvelous man who is unjustly imprisoned, who's run in the jail because he's such a noble fellow, uh, who's been brought here unjustly as a slave to Egypt. And, you know, the baker and I, we both had these dreams, and he told us exactly what would happen even before it happened. And, Pharaoh, you really ought to get this guy out of jail because you could use him on your staff as one of the wisest of the wise men because he knows that interpretations come from God. That's what you expect to read. What do you, what do you in fact, read? Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You think even basic gratitude would cause this guy to say something, but he doesn't. And it's tempting at this point in the story, especially if you're Joseph, to wonder, look, where is God in this? He gave me the exact prophetic insight into these men's dreams. John can give me that, but he can't get me out of jail? What's the deal? And I want to take the opportunity to, to answer that question by way of application for us so that we can continue to trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances just like Joseph did. So where's the question is, where is God when you or me are in tough circumstances? Where is he? Well, the first answer to that is this, that God is far more interested in our character than in our comfort. God is far more interested in our character than in our comfort. He cares much more about what sort of people we become than what sort of circumstances we enjoy. Amen? If you don't believe me, remember Jesus. Son of God, possess rule and power and authority and a name above every name in all the universe. Comes incarnate. Son of God becomes incarnate as a man, and he becomes incarnate not, not as a powerful man, not as a wealthy man, not as a well-clothed man, but as a man born to a teenage mom in a barn. As a man who goes about for three years preaching, living on the donations of wealthy women in the only clothes that he owns. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said, right? God is not at all interested really in our comfort, but he's deeply interested in our character and what sort of people we become. And I think that sometimes we get it backward and we think that if God really loved me, he would get me out of everything that's unpleasant in this life. If God really cared about me, he wouldn't let somebody that I cared about get sick. If God really cared about me, he wouldn't let me get sick. If God really cared about me, he'd give me the dream job I've always wanted. If God really cared about me, he would make sure I had gobs and gobs of money or hit the lottery or something, right? 
But that's exactly backwards. Because, and if you're a good parent, you understand that, right? You understand that. That if, you, that you, if you're a good parent, you don't always rescue your kid from every difficulty and struggle. You don't always ride to the, like the cavalry at the end of the movie to save your kid from every little bump in the road. Now, prison and slavery is not exactly a bump in the road, amen? But at the same time, God does let us experience hardship and difficulty and pain and suffering because he is primarily concerned about what sort of people we become. And the kind of people that result from pain and struggle and suffering, if they respond rightly in faith and trust to God, those people become noble and humble and godly instead of selfish and prideful and whiny. And don't be deceived. God is greatly concerned that we develop godly character. What sort of person, think about this, what sort of person would Joseph have been if he had continued to live as his father's favorite but one of the youngest sons? Proverbs says, an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning is not blessed in the end. And you've seen that, right? Seen some kid, and there's examples of it all over the place. You know, grandpa works really hard, works his way up, builds a company. His son builds it, and the grandson destroys it, right? Why? Because this kid has grown up the child of absolute privilege, and he has known nothing but just a plush life. And so he winds up selfish and self-destructive. Joseph could have easily gone down that road. He's a 17-year-old kid, and his dad has given him a special coat to, so his brothers all recognize, I'm, I'm the big dog around here. Would that have been good for Joseph? No. Would that have been good for his family? No. Was what his brothers did in response a good thing? No. It was still evil what they did. But nevertheless, God allowed it because he was deeply concerned about what kind of person Joseph became because Joseph was going to rule one day. And whether you turn out to be a good leader or a bad one very often depends on what kind of person you put into that position. Amen? And the same thing is true of you. And the same thing is true of me. That the reason God doesn't make every road rock-free and, and, and just totally smooth and no holes is simply because He cares about you. And He wants you to be a godly, humble, noble person. Not somebody like a pink, you know, packet of sweetener on the table, you know, sweet and low, right? He wants you to be noble, and he wants you to look like Jesus. And if, and if Jesus had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered, as Hebrews says that he did, then guess what? Sign yourself up. Fill it in on your contract, too. That's going to happen. Why? Because God cares about you and he wants you to be the kind of person who looks like Jesus.
second answer is that prison is preparation. Prison is preparation. I don't mean, by the way, that all of us uh, will one day, like Joseph, be in prison. I hope that that's not true of most of us. Right? I hope that, that uh, certainly no one goes to prison because they deserve it. And I also hope that none of us here go to prison on the basis of persecution. But what I do mean is this, is that God often chooses to use circumstances that, are, that feel prison-like to prepare you for the future he has in mind for you. The suffering that you endure gives you a unique ability many times to minister and to encourage those who suffer in similar ways. Many times a difficult season gives way to a great harvest. And God's plans are not our plans. And his ways are not our ways. But my lack of understanding of God's plan does not mean there isn't one. Amen? I've, I've mentioned this before. I got Crohn's disease at 16. And... When I was diagnosed, they put me on 60 milligrams of prednisone, which, as a 16-year-old boy with all the hormones that are associated with that, basically covered the top half of my body in one continuous uh, infestation of acne, which was great for my social life. Okay? It really was. I had night sweats. Uh, I, I swelled up. You know, I, I, looked, I looked like I'd been inflated. Okay, and and it was it was awesome to be in high school and dealing with that, plus all the side effects of what's going on in your colon and all the rest of that while all this is going on. Right. So you feel fantastic. You look great. And everybody in your school admires how incredible your appearance is. Right. And you know what I found out? Found out that that thing gave me great compassion for people who were sick and people who are struggling and people who, like me, have to take medication every day to stay alive. God used that thing for the day when I became a pastor and the day when I would sit at a lot of people's bedside when they're looking down the barrel of a condition that's not going to get better. And I'll bet you, if you look at your life, very suffering you've gone through is the thing that God uses many times. Prison is preparation later on. Third answer is that God not only shows him, he's not only present, he shows himself present to Joseph. And again, think about this. If you'd had some dreams long ago that one day you would rule, dreams like Joseph had, and nothing since has pointed in that direction, don't you think that you would be questioning not only whether you understood these dreams correctly, but whether or not you'd even had them? I mean, when everything in your life starts to go the other direction, don't you start to go, maybe I was crazy. Maybe I just imagined this. Maybe I shouldn't have had so many burritos the night before. You know, something But 
But here's the deal. God, by his grace, puts Joseph in a situation where a couple of other people have dreams, and he understands those dreams rightly. And you know what that is? That's God in his grace telling Joseph, you know what? You understood these guys. You understood yours too. And the day is coming when your dreams will be fulfilled just as these men's were. And we will see that they that Joseph's dreams are fulfilled next week. So I have to come back. Okay? I have to come back. And we'll see how God is working. And and I want you to see this specifically because sometimes in your life it will not feel like it's working. It will not feel like he is there with you. But what is happening in God's plan and according to his purpose is greater than you can imagine. Might not go from being in prison to being prime minister like Joseph. But nevertheless, God is, as, as Paul says, producing for you a weight of glory which you cannot begin to comprehend. Amen? Let's pray. God or heaven.